You're listening to an ACCA podcast. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to ACCA. It's a great pleasure to welcome you this afternoon to the final weekend of our current exhibition, The Theatre is Lying, the inaugural edition of the McFarlane Commissions, which is a new multi-year partnership designed to support the production and presentation of ambitious um, new projects by contemporary artists. I'd like to commence this afternoon by acknowledging the Bunwurrung as traditional owners and sovereign custodians of the land upon which we meet, along with the Wurundjeri and all Kulin nations, and we extend our respects to their ancestors and to elders past, present and emerging, and to all First Nations people. Today we are delighted to welcome Sydney-based collaborators Anna Brecon and Nat Randall, who will be presenting this afternoon's keynote lecture. Anna and Nat have worked collaboratively since 2014, developing a practice that's situated at the intersections of live performance, video and film. Producing works that are evocative of both the live and the cinematic, they draw on Brecon's history of filmmaking, film criticism and film theory, and Randall's experience with durational modes of performance practice. Their critically acclaimed landmark work, The Second Woman, a Herculean 24-hour film and performance work, which premiered at the Next Wave Festival in 2016, has continued to tour over the last three years and has recently concluded its outings at the Taipei Festival in late 2018 and at this year's Adelaide Festival. Their lecture today will explore the intersection of live performance, video and film in the gallery context in relationship to the development of their major new work, Rearview, which has been commissioned by ACCA for the inaugural McFarlane Commissions. Rearview continues the artist's interest in durational or time-based performance while playing with the endless representational loops of film and video art. Anna and Nat will be speaking for about 40 minutes, and after that, um, Adrienne Haywood, ACCA's Curator of Public Programs, will have the microphone to encourage and welcome questions from the audience at the end. Um, it's really been a great pleasure to present the work of Anna and Nat over, the, over our summer season, and we're really delighted that they could join us um, from Sydney this weekend, for this final weekend, and um, please uh, join me in welcoming Anna Brecon and Nat Randall. Um, thank you, and before we begin, we'd also like to acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, the land of the Boonwurrung and Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, to elders past, present and future, and to extend our respect and to acknowledge any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. A big thank you um, to the McFarlane Fund for their generous support of this inaugural McFarlane Commission. And a, just a couple of thank yous in relation to ACCA. Um, we'd like to thank the co-curators of the exhibition, Max Delaney and Annika Christensen, and also thank you to the curatorial manager, Miriam Kelly, who's also here, and to Samantha Baudry and her install team, uh, and to Annabelle, the curator of the public programs, um, and everyone who we've engaged with um, at ACCA as well, um, and of course to the fellow exhibiting artists, Daniel Consuelo Sol and Matthew. It's a real pleasure to be exhibiting um, alongside of everyone. Um, so in this keynote, uh, we'll step through uh, the research, the development and the delivery of this project, and we'll also discuss a bit of our collaborative model, uh, the script development, modes of performance and thematic considerations of time. Um, so we just um, also wanted to say it's not just us, so this project um, is a collaborative work made by a core team of six. 
Um, myself and Linda Chen are the performers. Anna, direction, um, composition and sound, Melbourne-based practitioner Nina Buchanan. Many of you might know her. Cinematography, Ross Turley, and sound recording, Raf Dabrowski. So using rear projection photography, Rear View is a 90-minute performance piece in which two women travel the road between Broken Hill and Mulcanya in regional New South Wales. We don't see the women leave or arrive at their destination. Um, and as many of you might have seen, Rear View is exhibited as a floor-to-ceiling large-scale projection of an unedited Hollywood-style two-shot um, this unedited shot captures the journey in real time, registering the temporal experience of the performers' bodies, bringing um, a sense of liveness and contingency to the final work. The size of the projection combined with the limited depth of the viewing space in the gallery is such that the spectator is restricted in her ability to take in the entire image at any one time. Review's script um, is shaped out of material from a cinematic archive of women uh, in cars across the history of Australian and Hollywood cinema, paying attention to dialogue, gesture and forms of emotional expression. These cinematic fragments have been curated into a continuous form that shifts in mood, tone and genre over 90 minutes. Regarding the selection process, it became quite clear that we wouldn't have a work uh, if we relied on two women in a car um, to make the selection, so the rule became at least one woman in a car at any point in time. Um, the road between Broken Hill and Mulcanya provides a landscape through which these cinematic moments travel. It's one of the most filmed cities in the world and referred to as the Hollywood of the Outback, and Broken Hill signifies the intersection of an Australian um, cinema and Hollywood um, experience. While Broken Hill and its surrounding areas are well known for the Mad Max productions that offer a hyper-masculine depiction of the road, the town also has a significance within Australian queer film history. Its stopover in the adventures of Priscilla and the town Wake and Fright's John Grant isn't able to escape. Um, Anna and my collaborative practice sits at the intersection of performance art, theatre and film. And when Acker offered us a commission to make a work based on the provocation, the theatre is lying, which is a good segue to say that there's heaps of great catalogues available for $20 with really great writing. It's really great writing. Um, uh, anyway, <laughs> that's the cover. Um, we took the opportunity to produce a kind of theatrical performance in a gallery context. In relation to the other work that Max referenced, The Second Woman, we'd thought a lot about what it means to produce a cinematic experience within the theatre. And while video is frequently used in the theatre, our interest in The Second Woman was not to film and project a large theatrical performance, but rather create a theatre piece that's organised around cinematic styles of performance. In relation to the context of this commission, we began to consider the ways um, in which we could bring a theatrical performance into the gallery and how we could do this without the physical presence of the live body. So what we created was a video work that built in conventions of cinema and theatre. The locked off shot, which is essentially this frame, um, is a 90 minute um, duration that mimics a stage view an unchanging position in which the performance is directed to the front. 
The uncut durational shot replicates the theatre as we watch the performance play out in real time, replacing the spectator in a direct relation to the filmed body. In distinction to film performances, the actor must get from one position to the other. These awkward transitions between... Um, these awkward transitions uh, cannot be cut out. The performer must hit the mark in the form of cinema, but also block their movements and arrange their body continuously as if on stage. While emotions in theatrical performances are often expressed physically through large gesture, in film, emotions are expressed through minute shifts in facial expression. Here, the close-up takes the place of the theatrical body and the camera's frame serves as the perimeter of the stage. The uncut static durational shot works twofold, as a theatrical device indicating artifice and as a mechanism of realism, enabling the viewer to have a direct relation to the on-screen body. The intersection of theatrical and realist techniques were also central to our process. The images of the road and the landscape are, are captured off the back of a ute in the style of a low-budget independent realist cinema. The two of us driving a ute for about 13 hours with a camera strapped to the back with, with ratchet straps. As is the case with much of the new realist cinema, the lengthy durational shots were enabled by new digital technologies that are able to capture an unlimited amount of footage. On the other spectrum, um, on the right, um, the images of the performance were captured in the sound studio at Fox Studios in front of a rear projection screen. The shoot involved studio lights, extensive hair and makeup, wind machines, car bumpers, which were essentially a team of people subbing in and out to push up and down um, the car, and an eight um, microphone setup. Uh, so just talking about um, the script, uh, rear, views, <coughs> sorry, rear view script was made out of moments of women in cars, focusing uh, primarily on Hollywood cinema, looking at dialogue, gesture and expression. The process of finding citations involved um, scanning around 1,500, 2,000 films to find scenes in cars with at least one female identified character. Uh, we tried not to let our taste structure um, too much of the development of the archive. Um, although at the end, as I'll talk about later, this, this does come into it. We looked, in order to sort of uh, ensure that our taste was not organising uh, the selection of films too much, we looked at uh, lists of best movies over the last 100 years, Oscar-winning films, uh, scanned hundreds of films on Netflix and Stan, um, YouTube, and then we just scanned anything that sort of came up after the initial initial search. Uh, we looked up lists of films uh, by genre and uh, just kind of random random blogs around particular films that people feel worthy of of listing on the internet. Uh, at this stage, our aim was to demonstrate. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, uh, the plan was to develop an archive of mainstream popular texts on the premise that they uh, most frequently represent dominant norms. At this stage, our aim was to demonstrate the relation between uh, mainstream in imagery and everyday affective experience between Hollywood feeling and uh, ordinary feeling. We wanted at this time to explore the intersection of Hollywood systems of feeling and everyday experience. From this archive of car scenes, dialogue was chosen on the basis that it 
uh, did not contain any uh, plot information. Uh, <coughs> dialogue was selected on uh, its capacity to express emotion, character, or uh, relationship. When putting the citations together, we wanted to ensure that the citation maintained the emotional impulse of its original context. Because of this desire to retain the source text's emotions and the original performer's intention and expression, genre texts usually needed to be placed next to each other. We found that genres have not only character types, but particular feeling structures and relational dynamics that clashed with citations from other genres. Um, genres that most frequently included scenes and cars without plot, uh, without plot organising the dialogue were film noir, romantic comedies and melodramas. However, we were able to divide the scenes in cars into a range of emotional genres. So we started to work out genres of scenes or scene genres. These scene genres uh, that we came up with to structure the 90 minutes were reminiscent, jokey familiar, confessional, flirtation, sleazy, tired, sexual attack, hard facts of life, getting drunk and listening to music, romance, and comic violence. These were reoccurring sort of structures in the films. Uh, these, these genres of relationality became the structure of the script. We wanted to make a work using citations that did not engage in postmodern knowingness. That is a work that does not base its, oh, we, we did not want to make a work that bases its pleasure on winks and nods, on a spectatorial relation in which both the imagined author and imagined spectator revel in the narcissistic feeling of getting it. Often this experience flatters the viewer, offering validation in what one already knows. In order to resist modes of engagement based on postmodern knowingness, the moments in the text are not overtly identifiable. Further, the citations are never completely disconnected from their original contexts in the way that postmodernism is often understood to be. Uh, Linda and Nat spent time engaging with the original scenes, working to mimic the feeling, intention, and dynamic of the original. And part of the work is about engaging with out, outmoded modes of feeling rather than contemporary, contemporary kinds of feeling. The characters Stella and Crystal uh, loosely took the form of stone butch and femme stereotypes, so that was the sort of uh, starting point for the characters. Um, by taking these types as the starting point, it became a matter of deciding what text worked with what character. Uh, over the course of putting the citations together, after many versions of the script and testing it with Nat and Linda performing it, we, de we decided to go primarily for texts that had a queer bent. Nearly all of the citations ended up being from films in which the actor, character, or content is in some way queer. Films that were included uh, that did not contain these elements worked to demonstrate a particular lesbian mode of viewing or strategic deployment of a straight text. The principle of selection for the scenes became based on the potential significance of a scene's relation to an imagined lesbian spectator. We selected moments with queer coded characters, queer actors, queer heterosexual dynamics, and with uh, misogynistic encounters that are able to be cr either critiqued or translated into a lesbian dynamic. This process generated a multitude of relations to the original text across the 90 minutes. 
Linda and Nat while deploying mimicry as an acting technique also offered a range of different relations to the material that they engaged with. So, yeah. uh, for example, the scene from Before Sunrise in which they're talking about their first sexual feelings. Uh, Linda's performance and the detail of her mimicry, her capturing of the um, minute of the original scene, mocks the original representation of female desire. The dialogue is, um, <laughs> oh, a friend of mine described it as putting shit in someone's mouth and making them say it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nat's oh gross in relation to the description of a man shaving his legs registers within this recontextualization as odd rather than normative in the original scene. Um, particular scenes in rear view come from a moment in cinematic history in which homosexuality appeared in films only by way of connotation. Uh, for example, the section from Goodbye Again, a 1961 film about intergenerational relationship um, between characters played by Anthony Perkins and Ingrid Bergman. Uh, this film has a queer history in relation to Perkins' role in Psycho the year prior, the queerness of the intergenerational relation that it depicts, and through Fassbinder's reference um, of the film in Ali, Ferrets of Soul. Uh, the dialogue for this scene, um, there's a section, and I really don't want to read it out loud because I'm not an actor, but um, can have a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> And I've got it written down here. Um, well, well, a few audience members, when they see this, um, would be able to identify the queer reference structuring the scene or the queer history of that particular film, the outmoded style of dialogue, both the language used and its rhythms, registers its period as an era of the cinematic closet, at least of a period uh, pre-Stonewall. Changing the male-female dynamic on screen into a female-female dynamic takes this moment into a, into a post-closet space. For me, the feeling that this generates is not a celebration of a post-closet moment, rather the dialogue and its post-closet rearticulation register as anachronistic. This moment brings together, for me anyway, the eroticism of the closet with the pleasure of an imaginary world in which the homosexual closet does not exist. The way in which Linda delivers this dialogue and the way it appears in rear view is such that homosexuality is imagined as the norm requiring no confession. Another moment in the text, uh, Nat's lengthy monologue about cocksucking comes from Harvey Keitel in Bad Lieutenant. This scene works at once to express the misogyny that structures male desire and its representations, but also a lesbian dynamic that takes the, uh, that takes up these structures for consensual sexual pleasure. Uh, it's not really a reclaiming of the text, but a way of negotiating the violence at the core of um, sexual relations. One last um, uh, example. Uh, uh, this is the uh, first uh, shot that we used in review. It comes from The Sweetest Thing, a 2002 romantic buddy movie starring Cameron Diaz and Christina Applegate. This mock cunnilingus scene points to both the use of lesbian, uh, 
points to both the use of lesbian sex acts for comedy, but also the capacity of lesbian spectators to ignore the potential homophobia of a scene in order to take pleasure in the fantasy of Cameron Diaz going down on Christina Applegate. Um, so I'll talk a bit about the performance. Um, when we were beginning this project, we were immediately met with um, the problem of how to negotiate acting in a gallery context. And while there are many instances of acting in galleries and um, performance art has historically been defined against popular cultural modes of performance such as theatrical, televisual or filmic. And one of the central qualities of performance art is the belief in the reality of the embodied event in question. This is achieved through either um, the artificial nature of the performance, where the spectator can see the gap between the performer and the character to the degree that the performer's reality becomes evident, or that the performer does not appear to have a character, but is rather imagined to be artist. And performance art usually operates on the basis of an artist audience contract. And negotiating the space between these two, the performance art and narrative character styles of acting uh, is central to our practice and something that um, we plan to pursue thoroughly. Over the last two years, we've increasingly deployed um, Meisner in a building uh, life exercises, intimacy building exercises into our practice. We're interested in negotiating the space between these two discourses and practices. The performance style of rear view came out of a process of mimicry and Meisner techniques. And these techniques work to bring together the citations in a coherent narrative form. This was probably the most difficult task and one uh, we really needed to spend a bit more time on. It requires a combination of emotional referencing while still attempting to connect and respond to the other performers. These are completely distinct and almost oppositional techniques. Our task was to try and work out how to sustain a relation whilst working from a reference. Oh, so I'll just talk about uh, time and duration a little bit more. The idea for this work developed out of um, The Second Woman. This work, uh, The Second Woman, involved the repetition of a scene with 100 different men over a 24-hour period. Between each iteration of the scene are waiting periods. For me, having watched it so many times, this became a part of the work I liked the most. Audience, audiences didn't necessarily feel this way um, as people like to be entertained and like to entertain. Actually, the show relied on the desire to entertain and be entertained, um, a desire that manifested at times as arrogance and aggression and at other times as beautiful and generous. Watching a performer wait, however, offers a direct relation to the performer's body as experiencing time. This idea is not a new idea and is at the core of most durational performance works. However, through review, we wanted to explore it further. In review, the intervals or periods of driving, um, oh, sorry, or periods of driving without a script that are accompanied by Nina's music work in two ways. The first, which is um, perhaps not the most obvious when you start watching it, maybe it is, um, as a relation to the labouring body. There is a sense of watching Linda and Nina, sorry, Linda and Nat experience time. If you, if you watch Rearview for long enough, or maybe it will happen quite quickly for you, the illusion of movement dissipates 
in its place is a recognition of the two performers sitting in a confined, in a confined stationary car for 90 minutes. In these moments where the eye can no longer perceive or no longer perceives movement, the diegetic space crumbles. We are placed in a direct relation to the performer as a body. Uh, to me, this is the time is time as labor, the body as a site of wearing out, of becoming tired. The other way of seeing the waiting periods or the periods without dialogue is that of illusion. If one is caught up in the illusion of movement, one can access a meditative space. Nina's music fills the space, its, its atmospheric quality give feeling to the movement and allow one a meditative experience. It is not the time of labor, but rather offers a way to slow down, to contemplate, to experience a shift in temporality. In this way, uh, see rear view as aligned with the politics of slow movement and uh, slow cinema. Um, just to add to that, the way that we're not very kind of up on sound, but Nina used this program that basically allows the uh, audience to feel like the music is essentially swirling around, around you. So in those extended periods, she's kind of crafted this score, like this sort of, yeah, surround sound score that moves as well so that the space appears and feels as it, as it is moving. Um, the car provides a symbol of the intersection of these two temporalities. The car is symbolic of industrial capitalism. It's central to the shrinking of time and place, to the speeding up of things. In its relation to the road movie, it represents modernity and expansion. However, it's also a space that allows for meditation and expansive thinking. It's been argued that technology, such as the camera, can direct the subject to speed up. This imperative to think fast causes the body to halt, to freeze, for thinking to be arrested. In counter to this, driving is the site of temporal dilation for a more expansive form of thinking in opposition to colonial, technological and capitalist modes of expansion. Slowing down allows for a different kind of thinking and feeling. Central to the shift um, from considering the car as a symbol of modernity, progression and domination, is the way in which the landscape has been captured. Here, as Anne Rutherford notes in her essay um, in the catalogue, the landscape recedes into the background. We do not move into it. The capturing of the desert is directed by the road. The capturing of the, of the space is organised around the road. It is the road that primarily organises perspective rather than an authorial point of view. This is enhanced by the uncut nature of the shot designed to capture the contingent elements of the space and not to overdetermine its interpretation. The nature of the durational shot, the moments of contingency and the capturing of its movement works to cultivate a sense of slowing down rather than speeding up. While the road movie genre exemplifies the car's function as a mechanism of freedom and escape, Often the conformity and the mundaneity of domesticity, we wanted to think about the car as a site of female affect. The initial um, idea of the image of the car comes from the, classic, uh, comes from the classical Hollywood melodrama. Specifically, it was... This is a terrible image. It's very pixelated, sorry. It was from a postmodern queer take on a 1950s film, Far From Heaven, in which 
Julianne Moore drives around the suburbs fantasizing about her soon-to-be lover. This image is so full of feeling, and in many ways, women's film from this period, the car functions as a continuation of the domestic space. Many people own cars and carry, carry half of their home around in it, and rather distinct from the domestic space, it's a continuation of it. The car is often used as a vehicle for communicating feeling, as a cinematic space. The moving vehicle is frequently used narratively to express interiority. It is a space of rhythmic contemplation, of expression of feelings that are not necessarily directed towards another. Um, in instances where there uh, is more than one individual present, subjects are either facing the road or only able to access the profile of another passenger, allowing for the expression of private thoughts while remaining in relation. The car allows for an internal experience or at least the intersection between the internal and the social. It's a space in which we may feel less concerned about our presence in the visual domain. The car offers a space of solipsism and reflection of moving in and out of relation. And that is, <laughs> that's, our, that's our speech. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Um, my name is Adrienne Hayward, and I am the Curator of Public Programs here at ACCA. Uh, we're going to open up the floor for questions for about 10 minutes or so. Um, and I'm going to bring the mic around to you because we are recording. So bear with me while I bring it around. Does anybody have any questions for Anna and Nat? Yep, one second. Um, hi, I have a question, and this is, I can't remember exactly how you refer to review, but um, in terms of it being a film in a gallery space, I'm just interested to hear you talk about what you think about filmmaking in a gallery space, and can you call it a film, or is it an art piece, according to, like, your work, and also, more generally, other people's work that's kind of, you know, bridging those two spaces um, at the moment? I mean, we, we did this interview for Acker's social media stuff and we sort of said it didn't fit in either category. Um, you know, it's the like in terms of um, the way in which people, uh, the, the regulations around film based on time, I think is quite interesting. I mean, it could be, a, it's a 90 minute piece. So that's a feature length film. Um, I don't know. I, I it's think isn't, isn't the distinction mainly around uh, um, narrative structures that, uh, and same as narrative performance, that art has historically, you know, sort of high and low have been demarcated on the basis of particular kind of um, feeling structures or narrative structures of, of film. I guess that's what I would understand the distinction between like video art or works that are considered art versus, and so, you know, like auteurist film has this kind of like middle strange relation between those two, those two um, genres, I guess. Uh, our, our thinking was in relation to um, narrative acting, which seems even more kind of um, abject in a, 
in a gallery mm. space unless it's sort of um, cut up by the artist. So it already sort of exists in a narrative context and then the artist comes in and then uses it to make it mean something else. Uh, but that is sort of a, a, a conventional theatrical performance or a conventional film performance um, is, I guess, by def definition has historically been defined against um, performance art and same as video art, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, our, our thinking was when we started writing the script and looking at, <laughs> well, looking at Nat and Linda act out the scenes, I was like, wow, if I saw this, like, it, it felt shocking in this, maybe in terms of a taste, maybe in terms of taste. Though. Not shocking as in, like, politically shocking or subversive, but just like, oh, wow, that's, that sort of doesn't feel like it could exist in, in that space. Does anybody have any other questions? Down the back. I'll come back to you. Could you talk a little bit more about how your work um, plays with and against the idea of postmodern knowingness? Just something you touched on a little bit there. I guess there's, I mean, I'll just quickly answer around um, the conventional, well, the, the text that you immediately think about when you think about female road movies, and we really, I guess it's around um, working against uh, an audience that will um, do a kind of, an, you know, an, an acknowledged nod to particular texts or a, a style of performance or even a style of feeling in relation to, you know, like the Thelma and Louise or even Desert Hearts as well, like really try and you know, high art, although, you know, I do love those Leso texts, they're great, but we were trying to reduce the amount of, um, or even moments in those films where we could utilise gesture or a different type of expression that wouldn't necessarily placate or throw too much to an audience. Um, you've got probably a, a different answer. Oh, I know in terms of just avoiding texts that speak to a particular subculture in a way that gives you the feeling of, oh, yeah, I get it, I've seen it. Like, to me, knowingness is a, is a relational structure to a text in which um, the text references something, you get it, and there's a community of others that you imagine exist also also get it and you kind of vibe off, off that feeling. And um, so we, I guess, in terms of... Yeah, structurally trying to work against it, but part of part of that knowingness is that the that the reference um, no longer has a relation to the original text in a strong way. So um, it's not sort of um, an, an allusion to a text or a, a parody or something. It doesn't necessarily create a, a feeling of knowingness. It can uh, have a kind of richer, it can offer something rich to the the earlier text, or it has a kind of um, the relation, it has a sort of strong relation to the original and so by um, ensuring that, so in writing the script you could take bits of dialogue and go, yeah, here, here, here and it sort of makes sense but when you actually retain the intention of the performer and the emotion from that space, it doesn't, it doesn't work as a kind of like floating signifier that just operates as like, I've seen it, I know it, I get it. It actually has to be lodged somewhere where it's still... Um, it's still true to the original, um, so the feeling is different. Yeah, and, the, and those, those citations are way too dominant, so dealing with any kind of known text or any kind of known moment was really hard to deal with because it just sort of saturated 
quite minute shifts in emotional kind of connectivity or, or citation and trying to create a very new feeling kind of couched in a sort of lesbian dynamic. We couldn't, yeah, we, we had to sort of like, sort of reduce a lot of the, yeah, the dominant um, moments. But yeah, also um, knowing this is based on either elite knowledge or at least subcultural knowledge. And so the films in terms of their um, cultural status is wide ranging. So, I mean, you could feel special if you recognise the sweetest thing, but it's kind of not, you know, to say <laughs> I've seen the sweetest thing is not going to give you a whole lot of cultural capital. Um, <laughs> Some circles. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, uh, um, I, 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 well, there's a lot of things that are really interesting about, about the work, so thank you for the work. Um, the, the, the road is this infinite sort of space that you're working with. I, I noticed, and I don't know whether it was just my eyes or whether it was intentional, but there was a couple of moments where the, the screen at the back kind of glitches. Was that intentional? Because um, I thought it was quite an interesting effect, particularly that I think there was one moment where there's a truck is coming up behind and there's this sort of glitch moment, like, and it made it quite a lot more sinister or threatening or something. I wonder if you could speak to the, the those those moments that I guess kind of bring in the more of the constructed nature of the work. Yeah, the yeah. technology. Yeah. Uh, it, is actually, it is actually a thing that happens from trying to stabilise footage. <laughs> um, but we I could have smoothed it out and decided not to because I thought it um, it revealed uh, like a technological glitch which is in distinction to the old kind of rear projection through a film reel and that it marked the 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 digital process of it in relation to or versus the analog system but also that you can't in, in distinction to um, green screen. You can't control what's coming up behind you at any particular moment when with a rear projection. So each time it sort of like landed at different at different moments and so it adds kind of like a digital contingent element. So you've got the you've got the um, the birds and the train and stuff like that that um, you know that we're not controlling but then there's a kind of like digital layer of, you know, um, that we're not sort of trying to like manage in a particular way. Or like the traffic, so trying to work out what speed to drive at and, you know, how to negotiate points of break in the actual making of the filming of the, the rear projection. But some, we did have to do a reshoot because the, that truck shot came up at a really bad time. <laughs> so um, <laughs> was not sort of emotionally in sync. It was quite bad. Yeah. Any other questions? Thanks for a great piece of art and uh, a wonderful um, and stimulating keynote about it. Uh, my question is about, you, you mentioned research that you've done for this, the number of films that you've analyzed and what you've picked out of it and so on. If I wanted to learn more about that, do you, do you also share the data? Do you have the data accessible to the public? Um, this might help like a student designer who wants to go into this area or someone who teaches about it. Um, is, is this open access? Could it be made available to the public? Um, it's not currently. It's in a pretty shabby <laughs> form at this point. Um, it's just a really big 
Google spreadsheet that is a kind of chronological score um, that's demarcated into Australian and American um, cinema. So, yeah, I mean, um, we do have as part of the work all of the citations we've used in the piece because we did cut a lot out um, and through, I guess, time pressures, budget pressures, um, it did become a 90-minute a a, a piece. Um, there is discussion around making this piece longer, but just to answer your question, there is um, citations on the actual piece itself in, in the gallery. Um, but the idea is that we kind of revisit this research base and think about how this might be translated in, into potentially a, a live performative element and rethinking the sort of materiality of the the video in in the performance space, whereby you may not see the actual physical performer in the space, but um, well, that's what we wrote in our Australia Council application. <laughs> <laughs> we have no idea. We have no idea. So, <laughs> yeah, that's one. Yeah, I just was reading it off the page in my head. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've got time for one more. Does anybody have one more question? No? Okay. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Um, this exhibition in the Theatre is lying finishes tomorrow. So if you want to spend some more time with the work, tomorrow's your last chance. We'll be open to it from 11 till 5 if you want to have a look. Um, then we'll be closing for two weeks, and we've got our new show, Tom Nicholson Public Meeting, opening on the 5th, which is a Friday night. That's the opening. We would love if you could all join us for the opening. And finally, thank you so much, ladies, for your lovely talk. Um, we'll be opening the bar till about 6.30, so if you'd like to join us for a drink, chat to the artists a bit more, you can have that opportunity. And thanks so much for coming. Enjoy. Thank you. You have been listening to an ACCA podcast recorded by ACCA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Melbourne. To listen to more from us, subscribe to ACCA on Apple Podcasts or follow ACCA on SoundCloud. To find out more about our exhibitions and programs, visit aka.melbourne and sign up to our mailing list.